You're listening to DraftKings Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot of people wearing basketball Illuminati gear at Moss Miami, fellas. That was really cool. That was fun. Including Angel, which I felt like that was a real win, considering that he designs all of the art for all of the shows. He repped the Illuminati. Shouts to Angel, man. I've been told you guys, we have the best artwork of anything on the network, Levitard show included. You know why? I figured it out. I figured it out a long time ago. Because everybody else's artwork has faces on it. But we are the faceless. We wear dark robes and hang around the periphery, just in the shadows, deducing and describing and translating and interpreting the hidden signals and meanings. I'll tell you one hidden signal that was not deduced by one Anthony Mays. Oh. Is that if I tell you, hey, you got to come meet this guy. Yeah. That's me getting out of it. <laughs> yeah. That was deja vu for me. That was deja vu back to the old live show days. Cause I do remember you doing that in the past, uh-huh. but then you got me again, just like the first time. I mean, they were excited to meet you. Oh, you got to meet this dude. Oh dude, Tom, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. This guy knows, uh, wh- who is it? You know, all right, cool. If we're in a crowd and a mean is beckoning you over, it's a diversion. And then by the time you've opened your mouth and started talking, he's gone. He's disappeared. It's like the Looney Tunes. The smoke is bellowing out because he's running out of that conversation so fast. It's a cloud of dust. So many victims. How many victims? Oh, my God. How many victims? We did a 20-minute segment. We could have gone longer on the stage at Moss. I could see out in the audience all of the basketball Illuminati t-shirts and the answers being screamed at the top of the lungs on our trivia questions. We won't reveal it here, the trivia questions that we did do live in person for those who paid to come to our show. But it was great. It was great to see all the soldiers out there. It really was. We may have been hooded in our Illuminami. Illuminami. Illuminami, mommy. Add that to the list of words that Tom can't pronounce, guys. The Illuminati. We'll see you now. The Illuminati. Angel said we looked like Testament's album cover 
souls of black. I don't know what any of that means. Exactly. I didn't either. I looked it up. It's five hooded figures. One of them's holding a heart wrapped in thorns. Hold on. I want to give us credit for one thing, man. That whole opening with the monk chants and the jargon from the show, 1000% ad lib. Yeah. It came across as very well rehearsed and written. We've ad libbed the shit out of that. We didn't even talk about doing that no. coming up on stage. We had no idea what we were going to do to start it. So we just started it that way, and it went off flawlessly. Yeah. I was shocked. For a moment there, I was like, shit, flying without a safety net. Read between the lines. <laughs> oh. Connect the dots. Perfect execution. Well, because we learned from the Cinephobe start that we would have to create our own start. I'm telling you, that shit threw me off. People are going to think, because I flubbed words. People think I was drunk. I was stone cold sober. But I was so upset that the music hadn't played mm. that that's all I was thinking about the whole time. Man, we had a whole thing. We had a whole thing. And we had a special guest on stage with us. Yes. The voice you would recognize on the podcast who joined us exclusively on the stage, which was a really <laughs> nice touch. <laughs> he almost got his lines right. He remembered the keywords, volume and salience. He remembered more than I did. Oh, that's right. It is volume and salience. I think he was just proud of those <laughs> word choices, and that's why that was so top of mind. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I'm joined by my five-star generals, the Illumination presidents, Amin El Hassan, and producer Anthony Mays. Fellas, Moss Miami is in the books. We look forward on this show. We look back. We look sideways. We look through the BS. We reveal the truth. Want to give a shout-out to everybody who joined us on stage, off stage at Moss. We have a show to do, and we're going to talk about those unwritten rules. Malik Beasley, Rudy Gobert, Zion Williamson, and Chris Paul, and that whole thing later in the show. We're going to break some codes, or maybe the codes have already been broken. Yes, they have. <laughs> but first... You are listening to The Agenda with Tom Haberstroh and Amin El Hassan. 
I was wondering what would be on the agenda on this week's episode. Had a couple options that were on the table that everyone was talking about in the league. But you know what? The NBA served this one on a silver platter. Maybe it's a bronze platter, a gold platter, a crystal platter. It's a platter. Platterpus. The NBA has today unveiled six newly designed trophies named after NBA legends, which will be presented to the end of season Kia performance award winners headlined by the Michael Jordan trophy, which will be awarded to the Kia NBA most valuable player. The lineup of reimagined trophies honors the league pioneers who helped to define the standards of excellence that these trophies represent quote from commissioner Adam Silver. Our new collection of trophies celebrates some of the greatest and most impactful players in the history of the NBA. As we recognize the league's top performers each season, we also pay tribute to the legends who embody these prestigious awards. I mean, we have six new trophies, or I guess new honorees. I don't know. The trophies already existed in some cases, and then they're just renaming them, and then they're adding new trophies. Mm-hmm. So let's just go through it here. Maze, I don't know which one jumps out to you, but we have the Michael Jordan Trophy, which is awarded to the Kia NBA MVP. We also have the Jerry West Trophy, which is awarded to the Kia NBA Clutch Player of the Year, which is a new thing. Can't wait to have annual arguments about what means clutch and who deserves that. Well, the interesting thing is that unlike almost every other award in the history of the NBA, you don't get to pick whoever you think was most clutch as a voter. Rather, the coaches pick the nominees and then the voters get to pick from that list of nominees. So we all know what that means. Coaches are just going to pick guys that beat them. Mm. And that's how coaches think. That's what makes someone clutch. Well, there's no parameters for it, so there's going to be endless arguments. That's what I mean. But that is also part of the most improved player award, that there's no rubric for that. And the MVP, we have the same debate that Rachel Nichols points out. The MVP award is so nebulous and so eye of the beholder that we should have separate awards to anoint an award like the best player that season or the best offensive player or the best defensive player we already have. We don't have an offensive player. Why don't we do that? So it is kind of open to interpretation, Maze, the other awards. And so yeah, this clutch one is no different. Just throw it in the stew with everything else. One big pot of semantics. Hmm. A chalice or a trophy full of semantics. The Jerry West trophy. I'm sure there's not going to be any debate about naming it the Jerry West trophy, even though he is the logo already. Yeah. Also, is it clutch to be the biggest loser in NBA finals history? Is that clutch? Sorry, Jerry. (laughs) Just thinking about winning time. Jerry West. That's the guy that I want on the trophy. Yeah. Be careful. We might get sued by Jerry. The Hakeem Olajuwon trophy. Awarded to the Kia NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Wilt Chamberlain Trophy. Awarded to the Kia NBA Rookie of the Year. Okay. We also have the John Havlicek Trophy. The Kia NBA Sixth Man of the Year. And lastly, because when you think who is the most improved player in NBA history, you think George Mikan. The George Mikan Trophy awarded to the Kia NBA Most Improved Player of the Year. I don't see the confusion. Every player who improves has done the Mikan drill. Ipso facto, whenever you think of improvement, 
Pink Mikan. You think it means joking. It's even funnier now than it was in the group chat this morning when I woke up in disbelief to George <laughs> Mikan being the most improved player award. When he led the league in scoring his first year in the league as a rookie. But he improved. When his first year was as good, if not better, than any other year in his career. His improvement. Come on, guys. I'm doing the mic and drill right now. It's all about footwork and using both hands. You know who definitely did the mic and drill? Last year's winner, John Morant. Yeah, that's how he got that good. Yeah. You think he's doing these Eurostep spin dunking on people without a little mic and drill to warm up to start with? Come on, guys. You saw him change hands so many times at the rim. How do you think he knew how to change hands? I have a confession. I love going out to the court and just doing a mic and drill get the juices going so fundamental here we go left hand right hand left hand right hand oh my god the little footwork i do that little one two step right here what to do what to do oh it feels so good see the ball go through the basket i'm ready for a great game of basketball after that yeah it's a nice warm-up you know the most improved player. You think that Damien is kidding about the whole mic and drill, but here we have a quote. From George Mikan? We have a quote from Mike Mikan, his son. Oh, Mike Mikan. Mike squared. Yes. Kind of a dick move by George to name his son Mike. <laughs> Here's the quote. We are grateful that the NBA has recognized George's career achievements with this honor. George is one of the best players ever. Wait. But perhaps his greatest legacy is the one he has passed down to others through his legendary Mike and Drill, providing generations of basketball players around the world with the tools to improve their game. Fellas, you heard it straight from the source. First of all, he calls his dad George. <laughs> this little son of a bitch. Hey, man. Get the hell out of here. Second of all, did Mike and invent the Mike and Drill? That's a great question. I thought he was just the best at it. The best at the mic. And, I mean, he could be. They named it after him, just like they named this trophy after him as well, because he improved the most, clearly. This makes James Wiseman the front runner for next year's most improved, because all he's got to do is finish around the rim better. And then there you go. Mic and drill. Yeah, there's some mic and drills. Mic and award. Ooh, wait a minute. Within the agenda, I have some research. Okay. Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia, you might know of it, <laughs> says that the mic and drill is a basketball drill commonly credited to George Mikan, mm -hmm, but and his college coach at DePaul, Ray Meyer. The Meyer drill, not as catchy. Virtually every great forward and center since Mikan has practiced this drill. Do this. Call it the Mikan drill. It's a lot cleaner. Drop the Meyer. <laughs> and drop the Meyer. Wait a minute. Did anyone bother asking Mike Meyer, the son of Ray Meyer, his coach? Oh, man. I can't wait for the Chamberlain trophy. I want to know what his son, Shame Chamberlain, had to say. His son, <laughs> Otto Porter? Oh, that's another episode, Maze. We got to wait. Everybody's been sending us the Jimmy Butler is Michael Jordan's son in the messages. They want us to get into that. They want us to break down that conspiracy. So maybe we can do that someday. Beth Havlicek, John's wife, says, quote, we are honored that the NBA recognized John's career achievements with this award. John defined what it means to be the ultimate sixth man with his leadership and stellar play, serving as the utmost example of effectively starring in a role for the betterment of the team. That's a nice quote. And you know what? I have no problem with Havlicek being named here. Do you? I mean, the Hondo Award, wasn't it always named after him? I don't think it was. I thought, okay, I get it. We're going further back in time and we're choosing an older, whiter player because it feels like 
It could have been the Jamal Crawford or the Lou Williams Award. It's Havlicek for a couple of reasons. One is he's a Hall of Famer, right? But two was he's credited, it wasn't his idea, but credited as being the first six man. Like the concept of I'm not going to start my five best players. I'm going to take one of them and bring them off the bench. So this one is actually probably the most fitting of all the awards. Because everything else, I think you can make an argument. Should Mikan be the most improved? But we've settled that argument. Yes, we have because of the Mike and Drew. Over. Wait a minute, guys. I'm looking at this trophy. Have you guys looked at these trophies, the actual trophies themselves? At the pictures? No, I have not. So I want you to look at this one. I'm going to send you the link here. Me and, all right, Maze, just scroll down. What's the difference between the Mikan trophy and the Havlicek trophy? They look... You have white face blindness now. That's a simple two-eye problem there, Tom. See, the Havlicek trophy, we've got two hands on the ball. The Mikan trophy, because he's doing the Mikan drill, has one hand on the ball. Oh, excuse me. I should have read the fine print. The fine print here says the trophy... The sixth man of the year trophy features a player elevated and shooting a running jumper symbolic of the boost provided by the player to his team boost. God, that's beautiful. Yep. That's nice. That's so beautiful. See my thought for sixth man and Depoy was name it after the person with the most awards. Six man. You've got Lou Williams with three. You've got Jamal Crawford with three. And then if someone comes along and gets more, you pass the baton. Oh, yeah. Defensive player of the year. Ben Wallace has four. Dikembe Mutombo has four. Seems like both of those could have been good. And then eventually we could have had the Rudy Gobert Award. How exciting would that have been? Mm, yeah, because everyone loves Rudy Gobert. We'll get to that. They love it. Will Chamberlain Trophy. Because when you think Will Chamberlain, you think rookie. He had an incredible rookie season. Yeah, he's one of two rookies who win. Rookie of the Year MVP. Can you name the other, Tom? Moses? No. Maze? Kareem? No. Wes Unseld Sr. Ah. Shouldn't have won it, by the way. That's another Illuminati <laughs> for another day. Better left unselled. <laughs> Did Havlicek's son have Havlicek have a quote? No, not have Havlicek. Beth, his wife. Oh, okay. And she referred to him as John, not husband defined. <laughs> because, you know, that's fine. Wilt Chamberlain trophy has him palming two balls, which is an iconic photo of Wilt when he was younger. Yep. It says the trophy features a player palming two balls at once. You feel the tension? <laughs> but here's a quote from Wilt's sister on behalf of the family, Barbara Chamberlain. Babs. We are humbled and thankful that the NBA has immortalized Wilt's greatness with this honor. Wilt rewrote nearly every NBA record throughout his illustrious career, which tipped off with an incredible rookie season that redefined what was possible and set a ceiling as high as he stood for all rookies who have followed. Nice quote here from Barbara. Yeah, it's well written. Depoy. Okay, this one's a little controversial. Is it? I mean, as a white guy, I would like to see Tim Duncan here, but he never won Depoy mm -mm. in his entire career. Never won Depoy. Sorry. So that's kind of tough. But Akeem, also a great defensive player, two-time Depoy himself. And though he was awarded to what I think nine NBA all defensive teams, I could make an argument that Tim Duncan was the superior defender. And in fact, he had... 15 all defensive teams to Hakeem's nine. Well, because he played more seasons. But Tom, they needed someone to give a quote. Yeah, that's not Tim's forte. The other thing is, correct me if I'm wrong here, there's only one man in NBA history who's top 10 in both steals 
and blocks. And look, the trophy is, as it says, someone stealing and blocking at the same time. Features a player in a classic defensive stance with one hand up. Oh, there you go. And one hand down. Blocking with this one, but I'm stealing with this one. Knees bent and ready to move. And then you get a great quote from Akeem. It says, I am honored to have the opportunity to celebrate the league's best defensive player each year. Great basketball teams are defined by their ability to defend with every great team connected by an elite defensive anchor. That's nice. That's good. Okay. We should be... Valuing defense, you know, defense wins championships basically is what Elijah one is saying. And the Jerry West trophy, we even got a quote from Jerry West. Your special advisor, the Clippers, there are a few greater thrills as a basketball player than coming through for your teammates and fans when they need it most. This new trophy will be awarded to the player who best delivers in those moments. So that was nice. Jerry talking about that. The trophy features an NBA player shooting a jump shot modeled after West's perfect form. I think Alan Houston and Ray Allen had more perfect forms, but you know, that's just me. Well, it's not the perfect form award. That's true. Good point. Ray Allen is clutch too, by the way. Just going to throw that one out there. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I'm attacking Jerry West. Take your name off that trophy. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Legendary Lakers broadcaster Chick Hearn gave West the nickname Mr. Clutch for his extraordinary shooting at the end of closed games. And like you said, Mays, Jerry West was known for other stuff, too, that involved losing a lot. But you know what? Chick said it, so... You know what's funny is perhaps no one's reputation changed more in my eyes from winning time than Chick Hearns. <laughs> Not only because they depicted him as a complete joke, drunkie or whatever. Good old boy. But more importantly, that there was zero uproar. Everyone was like, how dare you say that about Jerry West? No, that never happened. Magic would not, like, no one said shit about, yo, Chick Hearn was a punchline around that thing. What about the last award, Tom? The Most Valuable Player Award. It's now the Michael Jordan trophy mace have you seen it yet yeah i'm looking at it i haven't clearly it's got to be the little jump man right leg spread ball up in the air right like just skying across the coolest logo ever made actually you know it's even cooler than the nike switch the jump man logo right i'm right right uh, mace should we break it to him here let him know okay fine i'll do it 
I mean, check your taxes here. I'm going to send it to you. Oh, no. What is this? Is he blocking it? It does kind of look like he's trying to block a shot, doesn't it? Is he playing volleyball? It looks like a fountain in Rome. An angel full extension holding something aloft. It looks like he's high-fiving. Does not look like a basketball move. No, not at all. I mean, look at this stance. It looks like an Instagram model. Leaning in, kind of trying to accentuate curves that don't exist. It looks like he's stepping in like a muddy puddle, kind of like Peppa Pig, you know, when they jump in muddy puddles. Haven't seen Peppa Pig in a long time, my friend. I don't even know. Is it a dirt pile that he's standing on? Like, what is that? Tom, have you read this description? The bronze trophy features a player breaking out of a rock to reach for the ultimate rock, a crystal basketball. Oh, give me a break. No, you're not. That's not real. From the bottom to its top, the patina of the trophy grows more burnished, raw to refined, signifying the MVP's hard work and progression from entering the league to achieving the NBA's greatest individual honor. All those mic and drills paid off. Now you got an MVP trophy. You know what? This makes more sense as the most improved trophy, doesn't it? Yeah. What you just described to me, breaking out of a rock to reach the ultimate rock from the bottom to its top. Some wet ass pussy. This reminds me a lot of the artist descriptions. When you go to the museum and you see a kind of confusing modern art piece that just looks like a bunch of colors arranged in some sort of pattern and then you read the description and it's talking about the process from raw to refined i wasn't picking up on that from this trophy tom no and it makes more sense as the most improved player doesn't if it's trying to tell a story from a rags to riches or a diamond cut from a rock it almost feels like this was the backup right like the plan b to the original plan Right? Doesn't this kind of feel like they're going through some mental gymnastics to explain this story of the MVP trophy? The MVP trophy isn't about a journey. The MVP trophy is just about the best, that you're flying above the rest of the NBA. And what better way to depict that than Michael Jordan's Jumpman logo itself? The most famous, recognizable logo other than the logo of the league. I'm sure there's an easy explanation for this. What did Michael Jordan have to say when they asked him about it? I mean, everyone else had a quote, right? So what was Jordan's quote? Yeah, this is weird. I'm looking at this press release from the NBA and I, I don't know. Are you saying Michael Jordan did not give a quote for the Michael Jordan trophy? It appears there are no entries here. Okay. So it was what, his son? Jordan Jordan. Let me see here. Joe Jordan. Jeff Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Which Jordan spoke about it? Which member of the Jordan family? Smith. It says Smith Jordan. Okay, here's a quote. I'm incredibly honored to have created the NBA's MVP trophy in partnership with Michael Jordan. Said Smith. Who's Smith? Ah, Mark Smith, the retired VP of Innovation Special Projects at Nike Inc. and Jordan brand designer. So... Somebody who used to work for Michael Jordan. Wait, what? So you're telling me we got Hakeem Olajuwon quote. Yep. We got Jerry West on a quote. Yep. We got John Havlicek's wife. Yep. We got Will Chamberlain's sister. Yep. We got George Mikan's son. Yep. And we got some dude that used to work for Michael Jordan. Yeah, we've got someone representing the family or himself on every one of these trophies, but it appears that his designer is thanking the NBA. And the quote keeps going on here. Sculpting Michael's vision 
of his own pursuit of athletic achievement into this award has been the opportunity and challenge of a lifetime. Yeah, challenge is right. He's not even the sculptor. Victor Solomon is the artist who will create the trophy every year. Wait, who's Victor Solomon? The sculptor. <laughs> Yo, the shrug that made. <laughs> Man, this is when I wish Illuminati was a video product. Just the way he's just like. <laughs> it was instant. It was instinctual. <laughs> The quote continues, as we work together on this project, it was very important to Michael that the figure not be a likeness of him. I bet. But instead that the recipient should be able to see himself in the award. For Michael, naming the award in his honor was recognition enough. Wait a minute. They're trying to tell me that Michael Jordan is so humble he doesn't want to be depicted in this trophy? The Jordan brand logo is Michael Jordan. No, no. He's so humble that, by the way, they made the trophy 23.6 inches tall and weighing 23.6 pounds. It seems kind of heavy. <laughs> the 23 representing Jordan's number and the six, the number of championships. No, no, no. That can't be real. That can't be real. It's all real. Hey, open up your third eye for this one, folks. It's got five sides to the base. That's a nod to Jordan's five MVPs. What in the numerology is happening right now? Oh, man. It will be awarded at 11-11. Every year. On November 11th. (laughs) The base is at a 15-degree angle, and that's a nod to 15 seasons in his career. What? I can't even say this. (laughs) But it's super important that the winner can see themselves in this trophy that has all this Da Vinci Code hidden numbers. To reference Michael Jordan. Didn't the guy who may have designed it or sculpted it, I don't know, Smith, this character, didn't he say for Michael naming the award in his honor was recognition (laughs) enough? Apparently not. Are you trying to tell me that there's something else going on here? The crystal basketball has 23 points to it. That's a nod to Jordan's jersey number. What? It's not a basketball. Does a basketball have 23 points? The namesake badge is six-sided. Six sides for each championship that Jordan won. And this one might be my favorite piece of numerology. The crystal basketball measures at 1.23 inches in diameter in reference to the singularity of the MVP and Jordan's standout career. No. I can't wait till they hand this to like Nikola Jokic and be like, what? And just close it (laughs) with the rest. Wait, all of these, can't you also do it for LeBron? 23.6 inches tall. Oh, shit. My third eye just got blown wide open. Watch this. It's done so that they can change the name to the LeBron James MVP trophy without changing a damn thing. He wore 23. He also wore the number six. So there's your 23 and six. The five-sided base is a nod to the five different jerseys he's worn in his career. Because he wore 23 with the Cavs the first time, then six with the Heat, then 23 with the Cavs again, then 23 with the Lakers, and now six with the Lakers. Wow. The namesake badge is six-sided, a nod to... It's six all-defensive team selections. What else we got? Give me more. Give me more. The 15-degree angle of the base is a nod to what? Oh, this is real easy. This is real easy. So he's an 18-time All-Star, right? Yeah. And three of those times, he's won All-Star MVP. 
but that one's named after Kobe. So the other 15 times, that's where that 15 comes from. And the crystal ball consists of 23 points, a nod to Jordan's jersey number, but also could be a nod to LeBron's, LeBron's number. Yep. Or what if he plays for 23 seasons and wins two more titles? The crystal ball, this is the tell. Mm -hmm. The singularity of the MVP in Jordan's standout career. What if it's the chosen one? Point two three. I've never heard Jordan have anything with the number one in it other than Jordan sneakers. I'm with it. I think this is all a clever ruse by the NBA. You almost got me. You almost had me. Initially, my third eye was not open. I, I thought this was just a business deal gone awry. That they couldn't come to terms on the Jumpman logo. That the NBA was essentially saying, hey, we're going to do a trophy. We'd like to do the Jumpman logo. And maybe Michael Jordan had said, you know what? That sounds great. Cut me a deal and pay for the rights to use the Jumpman logo as a trophy. And then I thought, you know, they come to this agreement that we'll just do a generic player jumping for a ball and this whole cut out of a rock. And that was their negotiation. That was their settlement, essentially, was we'll hire this night. Wait a minute. Mark Smith, what did you say, Mays? Where did he work first? He was a VP of Innovation Special Projects at Nike and Jordan Brand Designer. Nike. LeBron James is Nike. Oh. So by using the retired VP of innovation special projects at Nike, this also satisfies LeBron James and his partnership with Nike. Sounds like we got an old-fashioned switcheroo at hand, boys. Now it's time for any secret message for you members of the Secret Circle. Remember, kids, only members of any Secret Circle can decode any secret message. You can break Maybe I take a shot at it, maybe I break it. I'm real happy with myself because I did my job well. There's only one hacker in the world who can break this code. Super string theory, chaos math, advanced algorithms. Code breaking. Strange, the code is somehow different. It's like solving a Rubik's Cube that's fighting back. Whoop-de-doo! What does it all mean, Basil? People talk to each other, they never say what they mean, they say something else. You're expected to just know what they mean. Break the code. You are, quite simply the best natural codebreaker I've ever seen. Normally on Codebreakers, we break codes. We take confusing messages and show you the hidden meaning inside them. But this time, we talk about those that have broken the code. Zion's dunk in the closing seconds against the Phoenix Suns. This is what the NBA should be all about, Maze. Right? Like, we've been searching for rivalries. We've been searching for having the front of the jersey matter more than the back of the jersey. And here we have a small market team, Zion Williamson, going to that team, becoming the star that was promised and doing the dunk, the 360 windmill at the closing seconds to take revenge for what he could not himself do during the playoffs because he was out. And he is sticking up for his teammates and saying, I will not stand for what went down in the playoffs, getting booted by the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs last year. I am back. And I am the promised one. I am going to distinguish myself in extinguishing the Phoenix Suns. This was awesome. There's no way that this could have been a more perfect moment for the league. And no one could complain about it. It was great. You're right. There have been no complaints. Oh, wait. 
except for the Phoenix Suns. No. They didn't like it too much. They didn't like it. And they had a bunch of quotes, including Campaign, who said, the game was pretty much over and they just kept playing. Well, it wasn't over, so it makes sense that they would play Campaign. Back to the quote. I felt like there was just no sportsmanship, and we don't really like that. We do the right thing. I feel like they should have done the right thing, and they didn't. We didn't take it well, and we don't like to lose either. The game was over. No shot clock. They can hold the ball. There's so much to unpack there. Decode it for us, I mean. Number one, the assertion that the Suns do it the right way. This is one of the most shit-talking teams in the league, and I love them for it. I love them for it. They talk a lot of shit. They let you know. Mikkel Bridges talks a lot of shit. Devin Booker talks a lot of shit. Campaign talks so much shit. LeBron once had to remind him in a game, don't lose your head. You were cut from China not too long ago. Devin Booker and Luka, right? Devin and Luka go at it constantly. We're not vilifying. We're just saying, like, you're not the choir boys here. Number two, and guys, this is the important part that we need to recognize. Let's watch that play again. Watching. The shot clock's off, and Larry Nance throws it down to Zion, and Zion, rather than dribble the ball out, he goes up and dunks it. Because sportsmanship, and I use air quotes here, dictates when the shot clock is off, what do you do? You dribble it out. Let's rewind a little bit. How did Larry Nance get that ball to begin with in order to throw it down court to Zion for a windmill dunk? He rebounded it after... A missed field goal by Chris Paul, who, rather than dribble the clock out, attempted a shot. Wait, so the game isn't over. The game isn't over. And you might say, oh, he was just messing around and just doodly do. Nope. Go back and watch it. Go back and watch what he does with his arm. Oh, yeah. This is someone who is actively playing a basketball game. That play could have occurred at any moment in the game. You would not have known the game was over because of the way he's playing. So his body language, his approach is that of someone who is still playing despite the shot clock being turned off. Now, this is where it gets real freaky. While we have the powers of time travel, boys. Has there been a time when the Suns might have done this against anybody, any team? Yeah. The same crime that they're alleging Zion Williamson. Surely there's a time when anybody on the Suns has done this. Well, what if we go back to the playoffs? So kindly, Doc Brown, punch in April 26th, 2022 in the DeLorean. And let's take a trip back to good old game five of the Western Conference first round where the Suns, who are up comfortably 110 to 97, decide they have a run out, throw the ball to Mikael Bridges, who goes up for a dunk to seal the exclamation point on this game. What was that, like early in the fourth quarter? I mean, it's a 13-point game. That was the end of the game. It's 41 seconds left in the game. They're up by 13. Ladies and gentlemen, the concept, the very context of all of this, the fact that the most shit-talking team in the league, or I would put them top three, because Memphis, woof, you guys just don't shut up. <laughs> One of the top shit-talking teams in the league would take umbrage at someone going up for a shot after the shot clock has turned off in a game that's already been decided, even though they not only did it themselves in the same game, but they also did it themselves on the other end 
on the winning end of it a few scant months earlier, less than eight months ago. Boy, I tell you. I think C.J. McCollum had the best response to this when he said, they got to get back on defense if they don't want us to dunk the ball. Get back on defense. Love it. You don't like us dunking up six or whatever it is, then stop it. And you know what? If I'm watching the play again, the Suns aren't running back on defense. No, they gave up. They thought they gave This is just incredible hypocrisy, not only by what Amin pointed out, but I love the idea of a team that's getting their ass beat and is upset about it, accusing the team that beat them of being unsportsmanlike. It's a sore loser accusing a winner of being a sore winner, which isn't really a thing. You win, you're stoked. Yo, by the way, I just want to point out before we overreact, luckily, this is an isolated incident. It's not like there's a rash of this breaking out all over the league. It's just like the Suns and Pelicans, and it's probably just the nature of that rivalry. Oh, no. Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean. What? You think that's the only rivalry in the NBA right now? I was in Miami last week. I don't remember anything that happened. What? Was something else happened? You're just lucky you're off the hook for these games. That's all I got to say. I mean, stifled. There's a little homecoming recently, and it involved the rude Frenchman Rudy Gobert. Oh, yeah. I forgot about this. Oh, man. Malik Beasley did not like it when Rudy Gobert put in a layup, an uncontested layup with 2.4 seconds left in a game that was already decided. But he didn't even dunk it. He just laid it in like very gently. Tim Duncan style. So fundamental. So Beasley called the meaningless bucket disrespectful. And he said it's the unwritten rule of basketball. And I told him that. Unwritten rules. The unwritten rule is you don't score when you're winning. The unwritten rule should be trumped, in my mind, by the written rule of don't get your ass beat. Exactly. Play defense. Wait a minute. So Malik Beasley, he's speaking like someone who's been with Utah, like he's Mr. Utah here. He's been there for like two months, and he's saying they're peeing in the cathedral here of the Utah jazz arena on their floor. <laughs> you don't piss on hospitality and Malik <laughs> Beasley won't allow it. I won't allow it, but here's my favorite part. I think coach Finch brought this up. So you don't want us to dunk after the game's over. How about you stop pressing the jazz were full court pressing again. What are you doing? If you're waving the white flag, if you're literally laying down and playing dead, you can't bite me as I walk by. This is like so many fights I've seen where someone is getting washed, absolutely washed. And then someone jumps in, all right, all right, all right, he's had enough. Clearly, you whooped his ass. And the winner walks away, says, okay, I'll leave it alone. You're right. And the guy's got his ass up, stands up. Gets up. And tries to get one last sucker punch in. And then turns around and gets cold cocked again. And it was, oh, my God, the fight was already over. He was already dead. Why would you do that? No. Why would you do that? Yeah. Shut up. So what is this really about, Maze? Is it just bitter, sore losers, or is there something else going on here? There's history between both of these matchups. Suns Pelicans had a testy playoff matchup last year. Obviously, there's a lot of history with Rudy Gobert in Utah that didn't necessarily end well. It's just bitterness. It's written bitterness. It's not unwritten rules. It's well-documented history of frustration. We should write a new rule. 
If you don't want them to dunk, then get back on defense and stop them. If you don't want them to lay it up at the end of the game, Rudy Gobert wasn't even dunking it. He gently dropped the ball in the hoop the most respectful way possible. They still got upset. You know what? Then stop pressing. Don't press. You're not allowed to get upset if you press at the end of the game. Let's write it. Can I just say that this is the ultimate Rorschach test because Zion Williamson did his thing and I was like, whoa, that's so cool because I like Zion. And Rudy did it and all I could think of is like, this mother kept begging for it. Did you see him in that place? Like pointing, throw it, give me the ball. Like stop begging. Oh my God. Such a cornball. And I'm just like, it's the same thing. I just don't like him. So I'm, well, I shouldn't say I don't like him. It just rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Would you have rather Rudy like throw it down on an alley-oop? Yeah, if they had thrown it up and he comes down hard. Or if it just pointed one time, like, oh, here I come. Throw it, throw, dunk, and I'd be cool. But like the continuously, no, me, I'm, I'm open. And there's like three guys, by the way, three different Timberwolves open under the basket. Rudy's like, but I'm the one. I need this one. Get out of here. You know what, Malik Beasley, good on you. I'm forced to those unwritten rules. Wait, ha- what just happened here? I don't know. You're for the unwritten rule. For chaos. Did a lot of traveling in this episode. I mean, yeah, the Miami. We went back in the time machine. Doc Brown helped us out. You know, it's not having a lot of traveling in the NBA these days. The NBA? The NBA. Oh, oh I guess right. Yep. Gave it away in the prompt. Yeah. Gave it away. So after we had this rash of bizarre travel calls, like the one on Steph Curry that I was in attendance for, which might have been the last game I went to, by the way. Oh! Now, all of a sudden, now we're done? Wow. Just a little bit of a throw-it-in-there detail that you haven't been to a game recently? Fancy that! And now we have the lowest five-game rolling average since November 2nd. The lowest number of travel calls on a nightly basis, 2.2. We peaked at 3.8. Mm. And now we're cut in half to 2.2 travels per game over the last five nights in the NBA. That is very suspicious, Maze. The fact that Amin hasn't been to a game and suddenly referees have stopped calling travels nearly enough. John Goble, the noble Goble, he's been deterred. His crusade against the travel call. Now, what do we think here? Do you think they got the word that, hey, nobody comes here to watch you blow your whistle, Goble? I think the block was too hot. I mean, we got the word out. Traveling was all the rage. You were going to too many games. Think about that timeline, right? Tom does his own research. The podcast drops. The numbers keep skyrocketing. And then the following Tuesday after the podcast drops, the Steph Curry travel happens on TNT and the world loses its mind. And then I stop going to games and they stop calling travels. Yeah. Wow. It's a pretty impressive timeline. Who would have thought that, you know, all those things could just miraculously align? 
It would not be connected in the slightest. Not even a little bit. That's what the sheeple are out there thinking, but we know better. Bah.